0: Well, Good morning again, everyone. Uh, My name is Norton. I'm one of the pastors here at New Denver Church. And as we said um, a few minutes ago, today is the first Sunday of Advent. Um, But this season of Advent, it's often misunderstood. Most of us think of Advent um, as the run-up or uh, the countdown to Christmas. In fact, that's the way Advent calendars work, right? Um, Whether it's a National Geographic gemstone Advent calendar... Um, Or maybe you have a Harry Potter jewelry advent calendar Um, or the favorite in our house, the 99 cent Trader Joe's milk chocolate advent calendar, right? Because milk chocolate always makes everything better, doesn't milk chocolate better than dark chocolate, right? Yes. All right. Um, Now, you know how these calendars work, uh, don't you? Right. You open a little door each day, you get a treat out and um, you're one day closer to. To Christmas. Um, and most of these calendars are 24 days. They start on December 1st. But I'm a little surprised that they haven't caught the early Christmas trend, right? Because um, Christmas music has already been playing for several weeks now. Um, the Christmas stuff has been out since before Halloween. Um, and Emily has been wearing Christmas sweaters since August. So uh, I don't know why the Advent calendars aren't like 60 days or 90 days um, yet. But, The irony of all of this is that Advent isn't really about Christmas. Advent is actually a season uh, that followers of Jesus have observed for hundreds and hundreds of years. And it was actually something they observed before they even set the date for Christmas. So historically, Advent is a season that takes place during November and December of every year. It's when the days are getting darker and the nights are getting longer, and uh, that was symbolic. It was a time when Christians looked at the darkness, and they would actually mourn over the darkness in our world, and they would hope for the light of God to come and penetrate that darkness. And as I said, Advent was actually observed during November and December before they even decided, let's start celebrating Jesus' birthday on December the 25th. Now, of course, uh, Christmas is a celebration of the birth. Of Jesus. It's God's light through Jesus coming into our dark world. So you can see how Advent and Christmas actually go together quite nicely. Christmas often feels like the culmination of what you're waiting for and longing for during Advent. But in some ways, it's the culmination of Advent in the same way that Easter is like the culmination of Lent. But you wouldn't celebrate Easter all throughout Lent, or else you would really lose the real meaning and the purpose of Lent. And Advent is the same way. But it's hard for us, right? Because we live in a culture that makes a huge deal out of Christmas, and there's so much uh, commercialization with Christmas, and there's all the nice sentimental aspects that we all love about Christmas uh, that happen really in October, November, and December, that Advent tends to get lost in the mix of everything. So At New Denver, um, we want to recover uh, some of that. We think this historical meaning of Advent is actually really important. Now, to be clear, um, we're all about Christmas, right? We've decorated the sanctuary. We put up a Christmas tree. Uh, Our family, we put up our tree um, the day after uh, Thanksgiving. We're going to have a Christmas Eve service where we sing all kinds of Christmas carols. So all of those things are really important But for the next four Sundays, when we gather here on Sunday mornings, we really want to lean into this season of Advent and what it's really about. So, with that in mind, um, I want to read you a few stories today. And admittedly, these are dark stories. They're stories that Jesus told to his disciples. In fact, he told these stories to his disciples at a time when they were preparing for a big celebration. Um, when they were supposed to be fun and cheerful. Jesus and his followers had traveled to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. This was the biggest holiday in the Jewish calendar. Many people traveled a week ahead of time and came to Jerusalem, and there were festivities that happened all during the week. There was always a huge meal that people celebrated um, at the end of the week. And so um, it was a bit like Christmas is for us. And, and Jesus' followers actually sense that something special is going to happen at Passover this year. Like, it, just, it seems like Jesus has this extra energy about him. He has an extra glow about him. He's engaging people that week in Jerusalem in, in new uh, and engaging ways. In fact, one time he gets really, really emotional when he goes to the temple. Uh, the temple is a place where spe- people are supposed to gather to worship and pray to God. But Jesus sees that the temple has become over-commercialized. And people are just buying and selling stuff there. And Jesus isn't just disappointed. He gets really, really angry. And he makes this this offhanded comment that that one day this this whole temple is just going to crumble to the ground. It's going to be destroyed. And later that day, the disciples pull him aside and they ask him about that. Look at what Matthew tells us. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. So this was a hill just across from the city of Jerusalem where they could still see the Temple Mount there. The disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now this is a huge question. Because as I said, the disciples really think Jesus is about to do something Big. And so the word or idea that they associate with what they think Jesus is about to do is this Greek word parousia. And it's a really, really important word. Uh, parousia means presence or arrival or appearing or coming. So casually speaking, it could refer to when someone arrived at your house for dinner. It could refer to somebody arriving at the marketplace to buy food. It was also used um, in legal Roman terminology to describe the coming of a new emperor in the empire, uh, the beginning of a new emperor's reign. Or maybe if an emperor went out and led the Roman troops to victory and came back to the city of Rome, they would talk about the coming and the celebration and the victory of the emperor back into Rome. Or when the emperor went to travel around the Roman Empire and came to new provinces or new cities, they would talk about his arrival or his visit as a parousia. In fact, many cities would make coins to commemorate an occasion like this. Um, Here's a picture of one of those coins. Archaeologists have discovered a ton of these from those days where um, that's the picture of the emperor on the left side. That's the front. He has the crown. And on the right side, that's him coming into the city on his horse. Now, the word parousia, as I said, is a Greek word. When it's translated into Latin, which had become the political language of the Roman Empire... It's the word Adventus or Advent. And so actually on the image on the right which is the back side of the coin it says Adventus Aug. Aug is short for Augustus which was the official title title Caesar Augustus of the Roman Emperor. So this coin is celebrating the advent, the arrival, the coming of the ruler. Now, back to Jesus. Uh, When the disciples ask Jesus that day, so when will your parousia or your advent actually take place? When will it happen? What they're really asking is, when is your reign going to begin? When will you fully bring your kingdom? When are you going to arrive? When are you going to come in all of your power and glory and justice and judgment? Because remember, in the Jewish belief, they believed God was going to send a Messiah into Israel. They had long been exiled out of their land. And even when they returned, they were still living under uh, the conquerors, many different empires. The most late one was the Romans. And so they believed God was gonna send a Messiah, a victorious ruler who would come back, help Israel defeat her Roman enemies, bring justice to all of them, and then usher in God's kingdom. It would be like God returned to the throne of Israel. And so this isn't just an offhanded uh, question to them. Like, hey, you said the temple's going to fall down. When's that actually going to happen? No, this is like the disciples realizing everything Jesus has been talking about, everything he's been doing, everything he's been pointing to, everything he's been saying about this kingdom that he's going to bring, it's all about to come to its final culmination. He's about to arrive In full glory, in full judgment, he's going to bring God's kingdom on earth. And so they're saying, Jesus, when exactly is this going to happen? And they're expecting Jesus to give a very specific answer. They're expecting Jesus to look at them and say, here you go. Next Wednesday at 730 a.m., right? Or, Or maybe he'll say to them, you got your calendars ready? December 3rd. At 7 p.m. Make sure you RSVP, bring a white elephant gift. That's when everything is going down. That's when the party and the celebration and my coming and my kingdom is all going to fully arrive. They're genuinely expecting that kind of a specific answer. But instead, Jesus gives a really long, really complex, quite confusing and quite dark answer. We're not going to read it because it's so long, but I'll just paraphrase. He says there's going to be wars and conflicts and earthquakes. There's going to be persecution and violence and hatred. He starts quoting all of these apocalyptic prophecies from the Old Testament book of Daniel. He says that when I come and when all these things happen, the sun is going to go dark and vultures are going to be eating carcasses on the ground, people will be mourning and the stars will fall from the sky. And his answer, it's really disturbing. It's not what the disciples were expecting. And it's not what we're expecting. If you're reading ever through the accounts of Jesus, you read all these nice stories of these nice things he's saying, and then you get to this one and it's like hard right turn. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? And then Jesus says this, at the end of that long Disturbing description, he says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So, so you want to know in my parousia my advent, my my coming is going to actually happen? Who knows? Jesus is like, I don't know. Who knows when it's gonna happen? Not the angels don't know. I don't even know. Only the, the Father knows when it's going to happen. It's, it's going to be like in the days of Noah, which remember, it's an old story from the book of Genesis. That was a time of judgment. It was a time when the world was so wicked that God sent this flood on the whole world and nobody was expecting it. It just started raining one day and then it never stopped. Nobody saw it coming except Noah, right? Noah's building this boat, but everyone else thinks Noah's crazy, And then Jesus says something so important, not just for his disciples, but for all of us as well. He says this, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Now, there's a few interesting things about what Jesus says here that I want to point out. Um, First, the phrase, keep watch. He says it twice. And it's actually something Jesus says several other times. So it's really significant. We'll come back to that in a second. Also, this is interesting. Uh, Jesus compares himself to a bad guy. Right? He, he often tells these stories, and he tells a little mini story here. It's like a mini parable. And in Jesus' stories, there's usually one central figure that's a nice person, and that represents God or it represents Jesus. But in this story, the guy who represents Jesus is the thief who wants to break into your house and steal your stuff. And, and this is when we have to remember, Jesus' stories are not allegories, So an allegory is a literary device where every single part of the parable or the story um, represents or symbolizes something else, but that's not the way Jesus's stories work. Jesus usually just tells these really simple and straightforward stories to communicate like one main lesson. And he usually throws in a lot of details, but the details don't all mean something. The details are just there to make the story really vivid and really memorable and, and, and to help us understand the story. And so basically Jesus is saying, hey, You know how when a thief wants to come and steal something from you, he's going to strike when you least expect it? And if you're not on guard, if you're not prepared from that, you better always be prepared, right? It's going to be the same with my parousia, with my advent, with my coming. Now, to drive this idea home, Jesus actually tells two more stories to his disciples, and, and I'll just summarize them for you. You might actually remember these stories. He says, uh, picture a master who leaves his house to go away on business, and he leaves one of his servants in charge of all of the household duties. When the master returns, let's pretend the master is maybe delayed in returning. If the master returns, what does the master want to find? Does he want to find that the servant he left in charge of everything has gotten lazy? has gotten drunk, has not done any of the things that he was supposed to do? Or does he want to find a servant who is faithful and ready for the master to return at any moment, even when it's least expected? Second story, uh, Jesus says, um, picture a wedding day. A wedding day where in that culture, uh, the legal ceremony would take place at the bride's house, between the bride and the groom. And then the bride and the groom would travel or walk across the village all the way to the groom's house. And that's where all the friends and all the family would gather. And there would be a huge banquet and a huge reception. And the duty of the bridesmaids were to line the streets or to line the pathway between the bride's house and the groom's house and to light that pathway to welcome the groom and the bride to this massive celebration. And if they had sparklers back then, they would have used sparklers while they were lining the way, right? That's what we do today. So they use these lamps. And this is an ancient lamp. Uh, They would have been filled with oil and there would be a wick coming out here. And they would use these lamps to light the way. And the story, Jesus says, is for some reason, the bride and the groom are delayed. We don't know why the ceremony takes long, but it takes a long time. It's 7 o'clock, it's 8 o'clock, it's 9 o'clock. And finally, at midnight... The bridesmaids receive word that the bride and the groom are on their way to the banquet, to the party. Now five of the bridesmaids are ready to go. They've got oil in their lamps. The wick is lit. They're ready to light the way and welcome the bride and the groom. But the other five have run out of oil. They they weren't prepared to wait so long. And so they have to run back to the village to get more oil, to take care of the situation. And while they're gone, the bride and the groom arrive and start the celebration, and they miss the entire thing. And Jesus ends these two stories by saying this, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, quick tangent, um, how many of you grew up in a church or attended for some time a church that would be called like an evangelical church i know that word means a lot of things now or maybe just sort of a a conservative you know bible believing church how many people grew up or spent some time all right um so you've probably heard these verses and these stories before and the message that you probably heard is jesus is coming back one day And there's been a delay. We don't know why it's taken 2000 years for Jesus to come back into the world. But Jesus is like the master who's left and he's coming back one day and you better be ready because it's going to be like a thief in the night. And maybe you were somebody who, who dug out your Bible and you read that long, you know, dark speech that Jesus gave. And about the sun going dark and the earthquakes and the wars. And uh, maybe you've read the book of Revelation, too, and you read all those prophecies and those apocalyptic parts of the Bible. And if you're a Gen Xer or maybe an older millennial, maybe a baby boomer, you also read a whole set of books about this called Left Behind, right? And the premise of these books was that things are going to get really, really bad. And it's going to get dark and there's going to be wars and there's going to be all this horrible stuff. But don't worry. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to rescue all of his followers. But he's going to do it secretly and he's going to come back like a thief in the night. And so whatever you do, don't get left behind. Right. Don't get left behind. Now, next week, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some of this end time stuff. And what Jesus might have meant in what he was saying. And why some of these left behind ideas could be quite problematic. But the bigger point is this. When we read these words of Jesus, about his coming, about his parousia, we think of it as his second coming. And it's possible. That's not what Jesus was even talking about. Uh, Some scholars have read this, and they think Jesus is describing events that actually take place about 40 years after he says these words. Jesus was talking to his disciples in 30 AD. In 66 AD, the Jewish people revolted against Rome. They get tired of waiting for a Messiah to come and liberate them and to defeat their enemies, and so they took matters into their own hands. Of course, the Romans fought back with large amounts of force. A massive war broke out. The Roman armies invaded Israel. They laid siege to Jerusalem. All kinds of atrocities took place. And in 70 AD, the entire city was burned to the ground and the temple was destroyed and turned into rubble and ruins. Just like Jesus had said. And so something that Jesus was pointing forward to that event that would be like God's coming in judgment upon a people who had missed God. But I wonder if when Jesus was talking to his disciples that day about his coming and keeping watch, I wonder if he meant something much more imminent, much more urgent when he describes all of these events. Because two days after that, he gathered with his disciples again. They shared a Passover meal. After the Passover meal, they went across the valley, back up to the Mount of Olives. And he asked them, would you join me in the garden here? And would you stay awake with me? And would you just keep watch with me? And of course, the disciples couldn't. They fell asleep. They didn't keep watch. And that's when the Roman guards came to arrest Jesus. The next day we're told he's executed by the state. He's crucified in front of everyone. And Matthew says when it happens, the sun goes dark and the ground shakes. Maybe the coming of Jesus, maybe his was not a coming in power and judgment, was a coming in love and redemption. Now, whatever Jesus meant, whether he was talking about his his first coming or he's looking forward to his second coming, the message was really clear for his disciples and for all of us. Keep watch. And so this Advent season, we're going to ask this simple question What does it mean for us to keep watch today? We'll explore this over the next few weeks, but at the very least, it means to stay awake. To stay awake, especially when things are dark, when the thief strikes in the middle of the night, when in the middle of the darkness, many of us tend to go to sleep. And that doesn't mean actually sleep and uh, don't actually ever sleep. The point is when our world is dark, When there's violence, shootings, racism, conflict, war, hatred, when our world is dark, don't just go to sleep. Don't just bury your head in the sand. Don't tune out or check out. Stay awake. Maybe even when your own world is dark, don't just go to sleep. Stay awake. Keep watch also means be prepared. Be prepared. All of the bridesmaids did stay awake that night, but half were prepared and half weren't. They didn't have enough oil because the wait took longer than they wanted it to take or than they expected it to take. And so they weren't prepared. And then finally, keep watch means bear your light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But he also looked at all of his disciples in the eyes and said, you too are the light of the world. Let your light shine in the darkness. Be the light. Bear your light. In fact, the darker it is, the more important it is to bear your light. And so may we, during this season of Advent, reflect on what it means to stay awake, to be ready to keep watch and to be the light of Jesus in our world. Let me pray for us. God, we do pray um, that in the busyness of this season, um, when there are so many good things happening, Um, we're spending time with family and friends Um, we're buying gifts for each other we're decorating we're having uh, delicious meals all of those things are good things God but help us to not be too distracted from what you're up to in our lives from what you're up to in our world help us to not distract ourselves too much from the darkness Help us to see how you might be moving, how you might be coming, how you might be bringing your grace, your light, your forgiveness, your healing, or perhaps just your presence in our lives, in our world. Help us to keep watch during this Advent season. We pray this in your name. Amen.